to the Enneagram journey. Today I have the gift and uh, responsibility for answering some questions that we received through voicemail on enneagramjourney.org. Joel's here and he's going to line up the questions for us and you'll hear from the questioner and then I'll respond. Our first question comes from Sarah. Hello Suzanne, my name's Sarah and I'm calling from Scotland. Out of all the numbers on the Enneagram, I most identify with the one's desire to be a good person and to get things right. However, I don't notice myself being very critical of others, which seems to be a key indicator for type one. Instead, I put a lot of energy into being kind and into connecting with people. Would a one with the two wing be less critical of others? Could I still be a one if I'm so aware of others' feelings? Thank you very much for helping, and I really appreciate all your work. Bye. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for calling. There is a very interesting thing that happens between ones and twos because they're both in the dependent stance, and that means that they depend on feedback from other people in order to know who they are. And um, a one with a two wing is generally a bit more outgoing and more aware of other people's feelings. In terms of the critic that we talk about in relationship to ones, I would say that it's primarily an internal critic. So the criticism is usually aimed at you. And the reason that oftentimes ones are critical of other people, it's because they're trying to level the playing field where they are so that they're not the only ones that are bad or that get it wrong or that don't do it well or that don't do it right. Both numbers are other-referenced in lots of ways, and both numbers are concerned with other people's feelings. The difference in ones and twos is that twos feel other people's feelings, and ones are more aware of picking up feelings on a gut level. If you're a one with a two wing, then it will be um, really important for you that people understand you. So sometimes you'll find that you over-explain a little bit because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings with your efforts to help them see things a different way or the way that you see them. I think it's a particularly important place on the Enneagram because ones want the best for everybody, not just for themselves. And if they can work on that delivery by using the more external expression of feelings that comes from twos, then it, it's a real gift. So I know you're a little confused about where you are on the Enneagram, but it sounds to me like you're in a very gifted place where you're a one with a two wing that wants to communicate well and love other people well. In the same uh, general area on the Enneagram, the next question comes from Stephanie. Hi, Suzanne. My name is Stephanie, and I have identified as a type three for the past five years. And lately, I have been learning more about Enneagram type one and wondering if that is more my type. And so I am at this juncture in life who I really want to know 
uh, who I am really, because I have related a lot with the idea uh, that I have been a chameleon uh, forsaking what I wanted to do for what I believed other people wanted me to do. However, um, I have this strong feeling of anger uh, towards uh, those uh, in my childhood who did not allow me to be who I was. So I would love it if you could elaborate on the idea that threes are out of touch with their own feelings. And perhaps I'm not a three because I feel that feeling of anger uh, so strongly. But I see a lot of overlap between one and three. So anything uh, you could add there, Suzanne, would be very valuable. Thank you so much for your podcast. And uh, thank you for listening to my question. Hi, Stephanie. That's a really good question. I'm glad you're five years in on Enneagram work. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the differences in threes and ones. And then more specifically, I'm going to answer some of the pieces of your question. Ones on the Enneagram uh, have an internal critic that is uh, pretty hard on them. The, the critic uh, is not usually kind. And it's a constant inner voice that kind of corrects you all day as you go through uh, your life, telling you what you could have done better and what you should have done different and things you should have known. And uh, it's kind of shaming in a way, I would say. And threes don't have that. Threes generally um, feel pretty good about themselves and they feel like they can do the things that they need to do without much struggle. A significant difference that might be helpful to you between one and three is that threes very often take shortcuts toward reaching their goals. And ones believe that every step of a task should be done correctly. No shortcuts. That ones tend to think that shortcuts are a bad thing. And threes think you can get more done with shortcuts when you skip the pieces that aren't all that necessary. I... Um, want to talk now a little bit about anger and childhood anger around you not being or not feeling like you were allowed to be who you are. And what I would say is I don't know how much work you've done around the passions of the Enneagram, but the passion or the sin for ones is anger. And that means they carry anger with them a, a lot and just under the surface uh, with a one uh, is anger kind of waiting to have a place to land. So that wouldn't be uncommon for a one to feel angry. And it wouldn't be uncommon for a one to feel angry about childhood things that happen. It would be kind of unusual for threes because threes orientation to time is the future. And they're always looking to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. In terms of being a chameleon, ones, twos, and sixes are in the dependent stance and they get their idea of who they are from other people. And uh, ones would want to be pleasing. They would want to avoid criticism by being pleasing. So ones might try to be what somebody else wants them to be. And in also still talking about anger in childhood and the potential that you might be a chameleon or a three, I would say that generally... Uh, threes in childhood can morph into whatever people want them to be and see that actually as successful and not as problematic. And I can't imagine 
a three because they're so future oriented, still being angry about aspects of their childhood. Yeah. You know, with, for instance, it, it, the other two numbers in the aggressive stance, sevens and eights, that's Joey and myself. Yeah. And there are things we could be angry about from childhood and, and neither one of us are just not. And there are things that you and Jenny and BJ are maybe still angry about mm-hmm. and y'all aren't uh, part of that necessarily. That's a nine or four and a two. Yeah. But so my point though, is that that's not an aggressive stance thing to still yeah. be angry about childhood. That's a good point, and it's really not. that. You know, I think people, uh, and Stephanie, this would be a good thing for you to think about too. I think people overemphasize some parts of the Enneagram, but they don't give enough credit to other parts. And orientation to time is really important. And threes, sevens, and eights, orientation to time is the future. And that's where their head is, and that's where their thinking is. Ones, twos, and sixes, orientation to time is the present moment, and fours, fives, and nines to the past. The other thing I want to address is um, there is a lot of Enneagram talk in the world, and I did it for a few years a long time ago, where threes are called chameleons, and I don't adhere to that anymore. I, I... I think threes are trying to be what they think other people want them to be. And they're kind of capable of giving you what you want. And, and then that, that, I think that's a kind of a one thing also. Yes. I think that's where the three and one, like they want, if, that, if that's what you want, I want to do that correctly. It, the motivation's different, but what they want to do is the same. Yeah, and that could be a lot of confusion there with three and one. That's really good. That's really good. And I, uh, I don't think the motivation, you know, when you talk about threes and feelings, which you did, you need to recognize that threes take in information with feelings. They just don't use feelings to process the information they've taken in or to make sense of it or to decide what to do about it. And, you know, ones, ones want you to be happy with them, just like threes do. They just want that for different reasons. Another thing that I heard you say recently that, stood out for me was when you were talking with Phil and he talked about being a nine and in the anger triad. And we talked about on both sides of that is eight and one and having a wing with a different kind of anger. So it can come out differently. I would think that would play for potentially with her wings. If she is a, a one with a nine wing, then that's oriented to the past and anger also. So that could be another way that it looks a little different than just how, how a three would be. Sure. And, you know, she, Stephanie, you almost talk about your uh, anger as resentment. And the 891 is the anger triad. And eight anger is straight up and then it's over. Nine anger is passive aggressive. But one anger is usually turned in inward first, like you've done something wrong, and then you resent other people for um, being critical of you or not giving you room and space to be yourself. Um, obviously, I, I don't know if you're a one or a three, but I, I kind of think you might be a one. And that'll take us into another question that does involve threes. And this is from a different Sarah, not from Scotland. 
Hi, Suzanne. My name is Sarah, and I am a pastor. Um, I have struggled to determine my Enneagram number. I've been listening to your show for a while now. I'm either a three with a four wing or a four with a three wing, perhaps. Um, I am very uh, passionate about social justice causes, and so um, an eight kind of appeals to me, but I think that's what I wish I was. Um, I, um, I often feel all the feelings, um, and, um, yet I don't make decisions based on feelings. Um, but I certainly, um, am in the midst of that and don't mind kind of sitting in the midst of sadness or melancholy, but there's also an, I'm an oldest child and I have a sense of, um, needing to do something with my life. And there are parts of the three that really draw me. And so I'm just having trouble um, identifying um, where I am and would love your advice and insight into that. Thank you so much. Bye. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for your question. Um, let me talk a little bit about threes and fours, and then I'll talk more specifically about your specific questions. Three's orientation to time is the future, and four's orientation to time is the past. Three's take in information with feelings, but they don't use feelings to um, make sense of or process that information or decide what to do with that information. And four's are in the feeling triad, and they are far more inward focused than outward. Fours can hold pain without it being debilitating to them in any way. So they're actually the only number on the Enneagram that can bear witness to pain without having to fix it. As a pastor... Intuitively. Yes, they intuitively do that. So as a pastor, I would think that you have a lot of reason to deal with pain and to be present to people who are in pain, who want you to minister to them in different ways, depending on their Enneagram numbers. So what I would suggest is that perhaps um, part of your uh, gifts pastorally um, make you well-suited for dealing with feelings and pain. Threes are fixers, and they're fixers all the time. They want to fix pain rather than be present to it. Very few threes in all my years of teaching have said that they're comfortable with melancholy or sadness. That's generally not true for threes. Social justice uh, can be important to both numbers. Social justice in... Uh, the world of being a pastor, and I'm sure you probably know that my husband, Joe, is a pastor. And social justice is uh, an integral part of ministry and of being a pastor. You, you are kind of called to want the best for everybody and to want nobody to be left out, which would also um, tend to support Fourness, I think. So let me just say that if you're a four with a three wing, then you use um, three energy to get things done based on the feelings that you pick up from other people and the relationships that you have with other people, but also based on 
a history of remembering your own needs. Because fours are focused inward most of the time in terms of how they receive and process information. And then with a big three wing, they take all that energy and focus it outward as a way of making the world better or life better for that person. One thing that I've noticed is a common theme when people are trying to determine their Enneagram number for the first time is that it can be very difficult for someone who has a profession that maybe the gifts or the tools that they've learned for that job aren't really stereotypical for the Enneagram number. So like you said, being a pastor, you have to have some being okay with melancholy or being okay with sadness. So for me as a seven, I'm not a pastor. There are seven pastors, but sitting, you know, doing a hospital visit with someone who's dying and sitting with the family in that grief, pastors are trained to do that. You know what I'm talking about? So they, a difference in, in, they don't identify it with their Enneagram number. Right. It's identified with their job. Right. Sure. So we are well suited some of us by personality for the jobs that we have. And for some of us, we have to work extra hard to get the job done because it's not the way we are in the world. It's not how we see would be the language we use around the Enneagram. Right. And, and an extroverted seven is a fantastic rodeo clown and not all rodeo clowns are extroverted sevens. That's right. And so that's a, an incredibly extreme example, but Yes, and because you and I have seen so much around Enneagram reality, it would be possible for an extroverted seven to be really, really good in a children's hospital, but he or she would have to be able to take some breaks and have some space. Right, right. Another thing that I think can make it difficult for someone to identify their number with the same general topic is that we don't often, we don't like some of the key aspects of our number. So then when we have tools from our profession or from a life experience that we can, we can use to go against what our kind of Enneagram impulse is, then it makes it easier. And we want to say, Oh, that can't be me because I do this. Right. That can make it harder to also identify. I think so too. And I, Sarah, I'm going to come back to the specifics of your question, but what I, what I want to say about all numbers and about misidentifying and, and all of that whole world of stuff that we have to do is that everybody needs to remember that we all do the same stuff. We do it for different reasons. And we need to do a little work to be aware of why we do what we do. Um, in my generation, more, I think, Joel, than in your generation, there are a lot of children who kind of felt pulled by their parents to go into the business they were in. You know, it's a, it's a big surprise to both of us that we work together because I didn't seek it and neither did you. It's like it happened, and I think that's why it's so great. And I, um, I think the responsibility of the things that we're called to professionally often um, teaches us lessons that have a purity that 
even people who all their lives have been inclined to see that way kind of miss. So, you know, because you're feeling repressed and I'm feeling dominant, I can just feel all over our family of now 18 people. But when you have feelings in our family, there are Joey, when the feeling repressed numbers in our family have feelings, they're very poignant and everybody remembers them and they're very important. So, you know, we're, we're all capable of, of all kinds of things. The one thing I want to speak to specifically before um, I close, Sarah, is this. You said that you think you might be a three because you've always wanted to do something with your life. And I want to point out a subtle, very subtle nuance. And that is that threes want to be successful at whatever they do with their lives. Fours want to do something that is unique and different and that they can relate to from inside themselves. So um, sadly, for a long time, I taught that fours want to be special. And for the last several years, I've been teaching that what I really believe is that fours are unique. I think there are fewer fours in the world than any other number. And what they want is to be known and seen and understood so that they can affect the world for better. Both numbers make such a big contribution to the world and to our culture. And certainly both numbers have a place in ministry. And I I would just say that my hunch is that you're a four with a three wing. But you're not across from me, so I'm not sure. And I'm so glad that you called in the question because all of these questions are helpful to everybody. The next question might be very helpful for this topic because it comes from Corey, who is pretty honed in on his fourness. Hi, Suzanne. My name is Corey, and I'm a type four. I'm 29 and have been married for seven years to a type two. When I first read about all the Enneagram types, I had no trouble at all discovering I was a type four. It explained the biggest mystery and frustration of my entire life. I've been on an intense Enneagram journey for the past couple of years and have consistently kept up with your books and podcast episodes. I've also done a lot of personal work through the lens of Enneagram with my own therapist. After years of personal Enneagram work, though, I'm still stuck in one particular area. I can't seem to break past the barriers that stem from being doing repressed. My biggest dream from childhood is to have a music career, but I recently got a master's in marriage and family therapy as a backup. I love the idea of being a therapist, but it's been hard for me getting started seeing clients because I feel like I'm betraying my child self's lifelong dream. It seems I gain more and more insight about myself and the world every day, but there seems to be some unseen force that keeps my dreams just out of reach. Sometimes I feel like life as a type four is me learning to grieve the loss of one dream after another. What can I do as a type four to fight against the limitations of being doing repressed so I can finally push through the crowd of feelings and paralyzing idealism to make real and productive steps toward the things I feel I was born to do? I feel stuck and would love to hear your advice for doing repressed types who are facing major decisions. Thanks so much. Hi, Corey. Thanks so much for your interest in the Enneagram and for following my work so closely. Um, 29 is young. And I don't mean that to be patronizing in any way. 
I, I just find that in your generation, um, there's lots of room for exploring different things. And so I want to start by saying I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, exploring different possibilities for things that you're interested in. I also want to start by saying that I think fours have a very difficult time managing being doing repressed when it comes to the basics of everyday life. And every single thing has basics, basic things that you have to do. I love to teach. I love to teach groups of people, and I prefer to teach for at least a day and a half. And I get to do that sometimes. And other times, I have the responsibility for offering the Enneagram in completely different ways. And that's writing books and recording podcasts and doing all kinds of things. And so I think what fours struggle with is the day-to-day uh, -day work that goes with any vocational choice. A second thing that I think is real important about fours is that fours are comfortable with longing. And so uh, aggressive numbers who were longing for a career in music would not ever be comfortable with that longing. They would go after it and get it or not, do it or fail, but they, they wouldn't keep longing for that. If it didn't work out, they would probably move on to put their energy into something else. Now, there's no moral value in that. There's not a right and a wrong to that. That's just an Enneagram reality. And I think maybe uh, only a four would have a master's degree as a backup. Most people have a backup plan. It doesn't involve that much work. And There's so many things about the question that I just loved. One being that he... He said that he loved the idea of being a counselor, I think is what he said. And that's a very four thing, to love the idea of something. And then that, that also speaks to the doing repressed part of it, of they have an emotion, and then they think about that emotion. And when he said it feels like he's just learning to grieve the loss of one dream after another, you know, that's such a four thing, only a four would say that. And, you know, as a seven and fours and sevens have so many similarities mm -hmm. and big dreams is one of them. Mm -hmm. And there's not a bigger difference though. in when the dream doesn't happen fours, he's talking about grieving the dream right. and sevens move on to the next dream. That's right. And it's so great. Let me just say that sometimes for sevens, the fun is in moving to the next dream or, or the sweet the fun spot is in the dream, the sweet spot, right? And sometimes for fours, the sweet spot is grieving the lost dream. It's like that's a comfort place. It's like house shoes. That's an odd thing to say, but it's good. true. It does feel good. It does feel good. You've talked a lot about stances, and someone recently uh, emailed in to LTM asking about stance work and where they can find it. And you've done a recorded workshop for stances. It'll be recorded again in the near future. And... Enneagram Stances and Recovery Workshop that'll be released soon, which is helpful to everyone, not just people that are in recovery. But one of the things that, that I want to ask right now, it seems to me that professionally, which is what his question is around, that 
bringing up your repressed sinner helps in every aspect of your life. Is it possibly true that professionally, however, it could have the greatest impact? So for instance, we talked about, so he's in the repressed doing fours, fives, and nines. And we just, before we sat down, we were talking about dad and about my brother-in-law, Billy, and getting things done and just how when they, the biggest impact, because then when they do, do, it's so incredible. That's it. Three, sevens, and eights with feelings. When they bring up feelings in the professional arena, how much more successful and how improved their work environment is because of that, working with other people and so on, everything just jumps in leaps and bounds. And same with ones, twos, and sixes. So, of course, it would help in in your personal life, in your family life, in your alone life, your relationship with God, etc. But I just think professionally, it would change everything. I think it's a deal breaker professionally, actually. I mean, I think it People can make you or break People you. People get That's fired right. for not having a, for that part of the tripod being too short. Yeah. So here's what I would say. Uh, and I haven't really thought about this before. So I think we've just come up with a good new piece of wisdom. And that is that I think, uh, so let's be sure that everybody's dialed in that ones, twos, and sixes are thinking repressed, fours, fives, and nines doing repressed, threes, sevens, and eights feeling repressed. I think your repressed center shows itself first in your personal life. And once you embrace it and work with it, I think it has the biggest payoff in your professional life. And the reason for that is I think when you feel like it's demanded of you professionally, there's some resentment that comes with having to use it. And when you've discovered the value of using it in your personal life, then that resentment doesn't accompany using it when you start to apply it more to your professional life. When it comes up in your professional life, you say, I point out that others are doing your best. Right. Okay, I'm not doing that. However, I have to do this that y'all aren't doing and so on. Whereas you don't get to do that in your personal life. Right. So you know that right now I'm planning to take the next three weeks off. And uh, I don't usually take a lot of time off, but I'm, I'm really committed to doing it. And I was saying to somebody that I'm going to take three weeks off. And they said to me, oh, are you resting from all of your teaching and all of the travel and everything? And the answer was no. I'm trying to prepare myself for starting my new book, which means that I have to bring up thinking. And if I don't clear the decks, then I really have to struggle to get from inside of me the things that I want to do and do the work using thinking for the new book. So, Corey, uh, we've done a lot of work now for ourselves and with everybody else, so let me get back to you. (laughs) It's a good question. When it applies to everybody, it's a good, good question. And they all do, really, in Enneagram world. So let me say this about fours being doing repressed, and I, I really hope this helps. The things that are lost for fours, fives, and nines are stamina and self-assurance and persistence because those are all things that you get from doing. And you, you, you can't get them any other way. You have to do to get those things. And I would encourage you to start the doing exercises with a daily commitment to doing the things first 
that you dislike doing the most or that have the least payoff for you. Um, so for a lot of fours, that's day-to-day responsibilities. It's stuff like taking out the trash and uh, paying the bills and cleaning out the attic and doing paperwork at the office. It's those things that seem so lifeless for fours. Um, and then once doing becomes a habit and you experience the payoff, it's just easier to keep doing. It it actually makes room for creativity. You're not alone. We know there's a four very close to us who he goes from job to job to job, and it's difficult. It is difficult. And so to go back to Sarah... He happens to be a four with an enormous three wing. And one of the reasons that he can't find his place professionally is because he always wants the bigger job, a bigger job than he's ready for. And because he's got a big three wing and because he's a four, he can get bigger jobs that he's not quite ready for. And then he doesn't succeed. And then he grieves. And you know, Corey, um, Father Richard Rohr says this, the best protection from the next word of God is the last word of God. And there's a chance that being a therapist will be so great for you that music will be a hobby. And there's a chance that um, you'll look back at this time and think, I'm, I'm glad there was a fork in the road. Because there's always a fork in the road, and there's always the next call. And you're young enough that you certainly don't live in a world where you have to do the same thing forever. One last question to ask about this. Is it possible that the real underlying question here and issue is not so much the repressed doing, which I love talking about stance work, but the question is more about discernment? Yes. And I think we, we cheat ourselves from good discernment by, by getting off the train at the repressed thinking, feeling, or doing spot instead of staying on the journey and finding out what it has to offer. Thanks, Corey. That was a great question. They all were great questions today. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Please keep uh, calling in your questions. I really like hearing your voice. I think it makes my answers better. I hope our paths cross somewhere as I'm on my journey traveling around the country and teaching. And until then, please seek compassion wherever you are. Thank you for joining me again today. I'd love to see you in person. I'll be in Boise, Idaho, July 19th to the 21st teaching the Thinking, Feeling, Doing Church with Joe. August 2nd to 5th, we have Boot Camp 2 here in Dallas. This year, we're going to talk about relationships, parenting, and the Enneagram in Crisis. And August 24th and 25th, I'll be in Kansas City teaching Know Your Number. All of the information you need can be found at lifeinthetrinityministry.com. I hope to see you there. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.